นโมทัสสะภะคะวะทัวระหะทัวสัมมาสัมบุทัสสะนโมทัสสะภะคะวะทัวระหะทัวสัมมาสัมบุทัสสะนโมทัสสะภะคะวะทัวระหะทัวสัมมาสัมบุทัสสะพุทธังดัมมังสังขังนมัสสามิ There's a question here which says, "What was the Buddha's view on health and sickness, and the medical something or other?" I can't understand it. Whose question is this? The medical care. care of the body and mind. What was the Buddha's view on health and sickness, and the medical care of the body and mind? Well, I think um, before I address that directly, I'd like to say something about um, how cold it is tonight. <laughs> And uh, how pleased I am that everybody still came, knowing full well that it probably was going to be cold. Um, and even though I, I gave you an option to uh, finish the meeting, that you still want to um, be here. I'm not sure what it's going to be like next week. The boiler man is coming tomorrow, so uh, there is some some hope that this is not a a reoccurring condition. But even if it is, I still don't think that's any good reason for you to not come. I think you should still come, but you might want to bring a blanket. And it's also all right to, to wear a woolly hat or a hoodie, like we have this university student over here, who's one of those lovable hoodies. Not, uh, <laughs> okay. So it is tied up with this question because it's to do with health and sickness and how we approach discomfort. Because. It's easy to talk about this right now for me because I'm feeling very comfortable. I'm feeling very healthy. I put on an extra jumper before I came over here, and I know that when I go back to my kuti, it'll be nice and warm again. And so, when we're feeling good, when we're feeling young and healthy, and you know, in a positive state, then we can come out with all sorts of clever ideas about how good it is to endure sickness and difficulty and suffering. Uh, so I'm quite cautious about what I should say, what I'm going to say about this, because you never know what's around the corner. I think probably all of us know what it's like when you know, you've got, to, even if it's just a miserable cold, and your nose is running, you've got a headache, and and it just feels so utterly ugh, just so just so horrible, and and the mind can get very negative and and resentful and. So on. If it's me, you know, even if I'm a cold, I'm sure there's probably cancer. You know, so I'm a total hypochondriac. <laughs> I think Virgo's mostly hypochondriacs. <laughs> anyway, um, we don't just have to put up with it. This is the point. The Buddha did speak about this matter, and and one of the things he said was that you don't want to wait until you're stuck in uh, ill health and and sickness and approaching death. Uh, the wise thing to do is prepare ourselves, and so I think that would be the, the basic sort of comment I would make about what the Buddha's view on health and sickness was: that that we need to prepare ourselves for it. It's inevitable. Uh, 
Some of you will have listened to that series of talks by Joseph Campbell, and if you haven't listened to the series of talks, you probably hear me talk about the series of talks. And it's a very inspiring uh, collection of interviews with Joseph Campbell, that great mythologist, anthropologist, all-round good guy who died uh, a decade or so ago, I think, being interviewed by Bill Moyers. And they had, uh, whether they were good friends before or not, I don't know, but certainly the uh, this course of, of uh, interviews and very long series of interviews, videoed and tape recorded, uh, deepened their friendship. And at the end of the series of talks, um, Bill Moyers asked Joseph Campbell this question, a very kind of um, out front personal question. He says, well, Bill, you know, Joseph, he says, uh, he says, you're getting on in years. Who knows how much longer it's going to be? And they've been talking about all the great mythologies and great religions of the world and all this deep and profound stuff. And, but when it comes down to reality, Joseph, death's not far away. How do you feel about that? And he just straight away answered back. He says, Bill, he says, it's expectable. <laughs> it's expectable. And you could tell the way he said this that this was something that he had internalized. This, was, this wasn't just a clever idea. He wasn't just being flippant. And so it's, of course, easy for us to be flippant and to have clever ideas about these things. But it takes more than that. Uh, we need to uh, really take these teachings inwards and consider how they really apply to me. You know, the Buddha taught often about, you know, Old age, sickness, and death. These are the things that inspired his going forth. As we've heard him talk about it often enough, and, and if you've been on retreats or you come and stay in the monastery in the morning, you've probably heard the chanting that we do in the morning, I am of the nature to grow old, I am of the nature to grow sick, I am of the nature to die, I have not gone beyond old age, sickness, and death. These are regular reflections that the Buddha encouraged us to, um, to dwell on. Because... It's inevitable, but uh, we, the way our mind goes, we, of course, tend to be conditioned by our preferences, which is if it doesn't feel good, like old age, sickness and death doesn't feel good, then avoid it and go towards that which is young, beautiful and healthy and uh, lovely and agreeable. So we've heard all about it over and over again, but it takes more than that. We need to come to a personal recognition that this really applies to me. This is, this is true for me. Yeah. You know, Kath has been faced with this, with the accident that her son has just been through and is, is recovering from. You know, everything is just wonderful, and then suddenly, poof, yeah, this happens. This sickness happens, yeah. and aging happens for us. And I know quite a few people recently who have been telling me you know, quoting to me that very uh, graphic uh, description. Old age is not for sissies. It's difficult to endure. It's not fun. I don't know anybody who says anything nice about it. It's just like a, a, a something bad that just gets worse. And so we don't want to wait until it happens. That's the, the bottom line, really. And because if we do, well, then we can... Delusion takes over, and we start blaming. And, um, or that 
you've heard me tell that story, I'm sure, several times probably, of, of when um, Franco, you know, Franco, that less than virtuous Spanish chappy, who um, came to the end of his days and, and basically he was dying very near death on his deathbed and up in the palace there and, and all, his, uh, all his friends and fans, of which he still had a few, uh, were gathered out on the, uh, whatever you call it in Spanish, the, uh, the courtyard, the big square in front of the palace, hundreds and maybe even thousands of people out there, and, and it had been announced that Franco was dying, and so they were all chanting this, farewell Franco. They were chanting this over and over again, farewell Franco. And apparently it said that Franco turned to somebody next to him and says, where are they all going? <laughs> Well, he obviously hadn't prepared himself for the reality. That, and that's one, of the <laughs> that's one of the delusions that comes over the mind that uh, we basically just classically call denial. And it's powerful. Uh, we can make jokes about denial. You can talk about where Ajahn Sumato is at the moment. He's sailing up denial in, in Egypt. <laughs> so, that's <laughs> That's a, that's a bad joke. <laughs> With Ajahn Vimala and Ajahn Yanarato, they're going to look at the pyramids. But uh, no, denial is, uh, is not, just a, <laughs> not just a river in, in Egypt. It's a, uh, it's a very powerful mental state, which causes it a lot of suffering. I, I have a very dear friend at the moment who... I would say, is in serious denial about uh, what's happening to her when things fall apart. And, uh, the mind kicks in and says, it shouldn't be this way, this is something going wrong. And that's the way the Buddha counted it over and over again. There's nothing going wrong. This is what's supposed to happen. And uh, if we don't prepare ourselves for it, then this, that's the reaction. It, um, the mind takes a position against what's going on. The untrained mind, the mind that is not trained with awareness, looks for a position to find security in. And so when old age, sickness or death comes our way, then we can find a position you know, to blame somebody or to blame ourselves. In fact, I was talking to somebody today and they were caught up in a tremendous amount of regret and remorse and, and just dwelling on this self-blame, really, really tragically giving themselves a very hard time over it. The reality from a practice perspective is that even if we get to that point where we have remorse and regret, over having not lived our lives skillfully or having not prepared ourselves, whatever. That's not the end of anything. From a practice perspective, and this is again the Buddha repeated over and over again, that in every moment we can re-establish mindfulness and develop wisdom. Establish satipanya, truth-discerning awareness, at any moment, whatever's going on. And so old age, sickness and death are definitely objects for recollection and also triggers that... Uh, supposed to be seen as teachers. 
from the Buddha's perspective, they uh, are called devadutas, celestial, celestial missionaries, devadutas, celestial missionaries. And uh, this is when the mythology of the, in, around the, the Buddha's own early life, when he left the palace and went out and saw an old person, a sick person, and a dead person. It's, uh, it's said that these actually weren't old, age sickness, they weren't old and dead and sick people. These were actually uh, angels. These were celestial beings who knew that the Buddha was ripe. The Buddha was ready to make his great renunciation and go forth in pursuit of truth and realization for the benefit of all beings. And so these celestial beings came down and manifest as old age, sickness, and death. And so from the Buddhist perspective, these things, old age, sickness, and death, are celestial messengers, celestial messengers who have come to teach us. So that's the view. But just how we take that view inwards, well, if it's recollecting over and over again, I'm of the nature to grow old, I'm of the nature to get sick, I'm of the nature to die, or if it's when we find these things have come to us and we get filled with remorse because we haven't prepared ourselves, or if it's when we see it in the case of something external to us, when you look at something that's really, that's dying. This question came up recently with some school kids that came here about euthanasia. The term is usually translated mercy killing. And one has to wonder whether it's coming from mercy or not. That uh, if we're not really well established in, in mindfulness and restraint, then we probably almost certainly can't trust our reactions when we're faced with something as unsettling and as unattractive as somebody or something dying. The impulse is just, we say, put it out of its misery. But often I think the truth is to put me out of my misery. That's what it is. I don't want, I can't stand this. I just can't stand seeing it. And we need to learn to stand seeing it because this is part of the reality that we live in. This is, this is part of the realm that we live in. Uh, old age, sickness and death is normal. And so the encouragement we have from the Buddha, the Buddha's view on this, is to uh, pay attention to it. Now, in India, in the Buddha's time and, and still today, um, there's a lot more of this around to attend to. Those of you that have been to Calcutta or been anywhere in India, basically, you can see all sorts of yeah. decrepit, tragic human beings dying. And uh, from a practice perspective, we're asked to attend to this. And we attend to it not with the aim of necessarily just trying to not feel anything. We could approach it like that and say, well, I should have equanimity towards these things. Well, balanced equanimity might be the goal, but we don't want to try too hard to be equanimous because if you try to be equanimous, well, then what you can do is sometimes go into denial again. You sometimes cut off the feelings. The, the practice when we're looking at somebody or something, an animal that is dying or sick or dead, is rather to feel what we feel. This is the dilemma, often the dilemma of our 
of our daily life practice, isn't it? That we're faced with real difficulties, really unattractive situations, not just old age, sickness and death, but all sorts of other difficulties that we're confronted with. And part of us, of course, because we have sophisticated intellects, can imagine how it could and maybe even should be otherwise. However, what our senses are picking up is that this is how it is. This is the reality. This, this thing is actually like this right now. And to be able to hold the dilemma, I would suggest, would be a skillful approach. To, to ask the question, how can I receive this? Not to deny our faculties, our capacity for imagining how things could or should be otherwise, but also not to deny what our senses are picking up, like if it's somebody or something dying. You know, our senses tell us, on one level, this is going to happen to me. Like the smell of death, if you know the smell of death, like if somebody you see somebody's got gangrene or bed sores, you know, or you hear the, the rattle, you know, the death rattle. I don't know if you've been with anybody who's dying. They generally tend to let out the... Well, these days, often, uh, it's, it's, it's changed because of medication. But if somebody's not having medication, often you'll get the death rattle, the kind of crackling going on. And, and when you hear it, I think there's something that within us that recognizes it as, uh, as the end. And it's very unsettling because it, it touches that fear within us, fear of death. And so this is, uh, this is a practice. This is, this is maranasati, asupakamata. These are the things that we're supposed to pay attention to. Now, there's not a lot of encouragement. In fact, the, uh, the values of our society, of course, you know, the way our preferences have structured the society and, and uh, designed our lifestyle, we, of course, uh, tend to shy away from these things. We don't have a lot of exposure. But when they do come our way, well, then the thing is to have readied ourselves in advance to say, welcome, welcome. This is life and this is death. And just as we obviously learn and want to be able to go with life, we need to also be able to learn and know how to go with death when that's what's happening. So the basic view is very important. And I would say that's, that underpins anything else that I would say about, about uh, health and sickness and the medical care of the body and mind, that having a basic view that old age sickness and death is inevitable, it's not necessarily something going wrong. You, you will be aware, I'm sure, that there are, there's a whole industry these days around um, being healthy. It's one of the things that totally bowled me over <laughs> when I was in America, particularly in California and uh, Los Angeles. You see all these people on the street working out, <laughs> toning up their bodies. They've got these things in their hands. They've got uh, bottles and throwing back this and th these timers and gadgets and things. And, and they're all out in the parks and they're, so they're strutting their stuff with all their lycra, lycra, is that you call it? This kind of body clean gear on. It shows your muscles rippling and, and, and the the guys all oiled up and, and, and the women kind of amazing, absolutely amazing, mind-blowing experience if you've never seen it. Los Angeles is phenomenal, especially uh, Venice Beach. That's the place to go. It's a total hoot. 
And this is where the uh, worshippers go to worship the body. Those that believe in the religion of health and beauty, that's where they go. It's one of the the great uh, meccas of, of that religion, Venice Beach in California. Highly recommend it. But um, it's a false religion, false teachings, and uh, its future is not, not beautiful. Because uh, no matter how much we look after ourselves, uh, there will be deterioration. You say, well, what about that yogi? That yogi, you know, he just sat there and went and died and sat there, and sat there for two months and his body didn't stink. And, and so, well, eventually his body fell over. That's, that's just the nature of the physical form. There is a lot of emphasis in the yoga traditions about uh, making the body healthy. And you can learn how to diet and, and, and do these dasanas um, and, and breathing techniques and so on that can absolutely make you trill with ecstasy. Um, um, you know, it's a, I'm sure it's a fun thing to do. But it's not going to last. That's the thing. And I don't think the Buddha had any objections to people taking wise and skillful care of their body. In fact, talking to his monks, he was very emphatic that you had to look after yourself and be easy to look after. You know, you're supposed to make, take care of yourself so that you didn't get sick. And if you did get sick, well, then you're supposed to be easy to look after. Uh, it wasn't the case of just dismissing it. Well, if somebody dies, well, then you can dismiss it. I mean, you know, if they're dead, well, they're dead. That's all there is to it. It's like that great master Xu Yun, if you read his teachings, there's a wonderful book, two books in our library, translated by Charles Luke about Master Xu Yun's teachings. And when they had sessions, when they had these retreats, he would point out at the beginning that if the monk on the, on the mat next to you died during the retreat, just dealt with it, just pushed him aside and carried on with the retreat. You didn't let it interrupt your meditation. I think they had these benches, so they were off the, off the floor, so he was, the instruction was just stick it under the bed, under the bench until after the retreat. And, or there's that story that in the scriptures about the couple who were out plowing the fields and, and the son fell over and died. And there was no remorse, no regret, no problem because they weren't attached to life. Now, as, a, uh, as an image, these things don't strike us as very attractive. If you hold too tightly to these images, well, then, of course, you can uh, lose the point. Uh, the point is not to be heartless and uncaring and insensitive to suffering, one's own or others, but rather to not over-dramatize the experience of loss. When old age, sickness and death come to us, or to anybody else, the Buddha's view on it was that... you. Know, we need to prepare ourselves and to not just judge it as being something that's going wrong. And I would suggest that if we have this basic view, and it's not easy to arrive at, it's easy when you're healthy, like I am at the moment, and feeling good, you talk like this, but get me on a bad day and I wouldn't talk like this. You know, when you're well, contemplate these teachings, and when you come across a death, sickness, old age, and to really look at it and think, yes, this is going to happen to me, this is inevitable, this is normal, this is appropriate. And then, hopefully, when it does come to us, we won't have the same reactions. And I would suggest that, that our intuition 
with regards to how to approach maintaining health and caring for those who are sick is reliable. I think it's just like the intuition of a mother with her child. If the mother loves her child and she's not sick herself, well then somehow it seems the mothers just know what to do. There's an empathy. Our empathy and our intuition I don't think is necessarily reliable if we're stuck on wrong views. And so that's why, you know, monks and nuns over and over and over again reflect on, I'm of the nature to get old, I have not gone beyond aging. I'm of the nature to get sick, I have not gone beyond sickness. I'm of the nature to die, I have not gone beyond dying. So as to help that view sink in. And and if it does really sink in, then yes, I think uh, we can trust ourselves. Just how many vitamin pills you take, I was, I was doing my, uh, my drug tower, as I call it. I have these nice little stacking towers that, that I prepare every few weeks, kind of a little bit of fish oil, a little bit of vitamin, a little bit of kelp. And... But I think, yeah, I think you can, we can trust our intuition about these things if we have addressed the underlying view, if we're still attached desperately to life and health and comfort and convenience, then I don't think we can trust our, our intuition or our empathy, necessarily. So the willingness to put up with it when it comes our way, difficulty, like cold, like tonight, I'm happy that everybody is willing to put up with it, or sickness when it comes our way, uh, I always encourage myself, <laughs> good practice. Yeah. Hunger when that comes our way, Ajahn Abhinanda was talking this morning at breakfast uh, about when he was out on Tudong some time ago, and go wandering around the countryside and, and you always hope that it's going to work out that you're going to be near a village when it's time for food and you go and stand there with your arms bowl and these, these mindful monks on this occasion happened to uh, understandably forget that it was uh, Bank Holiday Monday and so Monday morning all happy, cheerful, trotting off to the nearby village thinking everything's going to be wonderful to find everything shut and then of course their hearts sank but then two very uh, open-hearted, lovely old English ladies saw these hungry-looking monks and invited them in for breakfast and then sent them on their way with some sandwiches. But the sandwiches were um, on, the, on the mini side and not exactly what, possibly slightly greedy, but uh, anyway, very young and healthy monks uh, would, would have um, perhaps uh, hoped for. So there was no complaining, of course, you know, gratitude and appreciation, but still quite a bit of hunger. And then uh, what do you do? Do you react and complain and criticize and blame whatever you can think of to blame? Or do you just trust? Do you just bear with it? Whether it's old age, sickness or death, I mean, trust is an important element of turning it around and, and, and how, to, how to turn the suffering around into well-being. We trust in our good intentions. We trust in doing what is right. We don't just default to blaming and, and uh, worrying. Now in this case, the, these two well-prepared 30 young monks managed to make it out to another village in time to, to stand outside, not the petrol station, I think they managed to find some, some restaurant that was open for tourists. And Was that right? And uh, stood outside until it was about, I don't know, 10 to 12 or something, all these people had been streaming past them, 
noticing them but not doing anything about it until one brave soul came up and, and dared to ask them, dared to offer them some money, which is always the opener. That's always the best thing that can happen when you're on arms round. Somebody comes and thinks you're begging and wants to offer you some money and then, of course, you've got an opener and you can say, well, that's really kind, I'm grateful for that, but actually we're Buddhist monks and we don't accept money and we haven't been able to eat today because everyone says, oh, oh, you don't accept money and that's wonderful. So then he yells across the car park or across there. Everybody could hear, oh, they're looking for food. That's what they want. And so then, of course, they get inundated with food and then they have to deal with the embarrassment of having more food than they know what to deal with and not being able to store it overnight, which is the next problem to deal with. <laughs> if it's not one thing, it's another. Well, that's basically the story of life, I think. If it's not one thing, it's another. Old age, if it's not old age, well, then it's sickness. If it's not a sickness, well, then it's something. So whatever the difficulties of life... I would suggest the wise thing to do is to prepare ourselves with inhibiting the tendency to say it shouldn't be this way. Yes, we have these, uh, this wonderful uh, faculty, uh, this uh, discriminative intelligence that is able to discern what is right, wrong, appropriate, inappropriate, and can imagine and ex extrapolate and speculate about how things could or should be otherwise. But also to trust our senses to trust the wisdom of our senses, to just, just feel what it feels like. What does it feel like to experience hunger? It's not as bad as it feels, actually. It feels like it's terminal when you, you know, you, you have not used to feeling it. Or sickness, you know, it can feel terminal. Or witnessing somebody else dying, it can feel absolutely it shouldn't be this way. if we don't just allow our senses to pick up what they're picking up. So I hope I don't misrepresent the Buddha. I hope uh, I do some justice to his view on the subject. That uh, I would suggest that, that with regards to health and sickness and the medical care of the body and mind, that uh, the best thing we can do is to train in mindfulness, that kind of mindfulness, that kind of awareness that is able to receive the reality as it is, yes, and also imagine how it could be otherwise, and to hold the dilemma. So thank you very much for your attention.